welcome to the Tech for Good Southwest podcast, brought to you by Annie, Alicia and Ariel. Here at Tech for Good Southwest, we're on a mission to build momentum for the Tech for Good movement here in Bristol, Bath and across the Southwest. We're going to be joined by charities, investors, startups and initiatives to share their stories, their challenges and their successes in driving Tech for Good. Hello and welcome to the Tech for Good Southwest podcast. I'm Annie, your host for today's episode, and I'm delighted to welcome Hannah Smith to the studio today. Hannah is co-founder of Green Tech Southwest, which is a community focused on how to use tech to take climate action, and also director of operations at Green Web Foundation. Welcome to you, Hannah. Sunny, thanks so much for having me here today. And um, yeah, really excited to, to chat all things sort of digital sustainability with you. Yeah, amazing. Um, so perhaps first, we'd love to find out a little bit more around Green Web Foundation and obviously your role there, um, but particularly also interested in how, what led you to Green Web Foundation? Where did it all start? Yeah, well, as with all these things, it was an interesting journey. I'll start with um, yeah, just explaining what Green Web Foundation is. So we're a non-profit <laughs> with a funny structure. We're actually registered in the Netherlands. Most of us work in Berlin, but I'm based in Somerset. Go figure. So we're quite a, you know, a dispersed team. And our mission is quite simple. We want to see a fossil-free internet by 2030. So we do a lot of work around creating tools for people to use. We're really into open source. Um, so we've got a few open source tools that people can use to check whether a website is running on a green hosting company or not. Um, and when we say green, we mean um, powered by renewable energies, 100% powered by renewable energy. Um, so we've got open source tools around that. They're called the Green Web Checker tools. Um, we've also got some software packages to help people estimate the CO2 emissions arising from software, which is quite cool. Uh, my background is in coding, so my degree is in computer science, so I'm pretty technical. Uh, so I do love working on those tools. Um, we also do like a lot of training and we also do a lot of changing the narratives around a lot of this stuff as well. Um, particularly the narrative around digital is green by default, because it's definitely not. It's definitely better than uh, real life al alternatives. Um, but digital intrinsically is not green by default. So, yeah, that's really interesting. And, and my role as director of operations, um, I mean, we're small. We're only sort of seven people and a lot of the team work part time. So, you know, when you're a small team, you have your fingers in all the pies, don't you? So I do a little bit of coding. I look after the finances and the HR. I'm out there talking and advocating for a fossil free Internet. Um, as well as, you know, sometimes dealing with support requests and fixing bugs and things. So, yeah, it's a very varied, interesting role and a really, really cool organisation as well. I'm really lucky to be part of it, actually. Yeah, I've seen some yeah. of the work that you're doing at Green Web Foundation, and it is really exciting to see more organisations and initiatives really focused, focused on this. So, very obviously you have a passion around digital sustainability um just what i guess what led you to this point where your sort of working life if you like is very much focused on digital sustainability i wondered if there was a moment in which you were like that's what i want to do yeah it's a really great question i mean i think 
For me, I definitely have always had a really strong connection to um, wanting to tackle climate change, wanting the world to be more green or environmental. And that's like always been with me, even as a kid. So I had, um, I think I mentioned already, my degree was in computer science. I spent a while working at the Environment Agency as well in my in my 20s. After working at the Environment Agency, I kind of fell back into being a freelance developer um, and actually working as a freelance WordPress developer and being very, very involved with the WordPress community. I know WordPress gets a lot of rap, but honestly, I really, really rate WordPress and the whole community. It's a really inclusive, welcoming space to, to be a developer in. 10 out of 10 for, for WordPress. Anyway, so I was quite involved in running uh, in, in the WordPress community. And in 2018, I went to WordCamp Europe. And WordCamp Europe's, as the name suggests, a big gathering of WordPress people. Um, that year, it happened to be in Belgrade. And I remember really enjoying myself. And at the end of the conference, I was like, oh, you know, what have I learned? What are my reflections? And I remember sitting in the apartment I'd rented for the week and being like, hmm, I had an observation. And, and that was that nobody, anyone at all at that conference had talked about sustainability issues or climate change or anything environmental at all. Like literally nothing um, and, you know, we're talking about a gathering of 3,000 people. We're talking about three tracks of talks that run over two days. So it, it was that kind of moment where I was like, hmm, OK, I'm going to try and change that. I think that I reckon I could be in a good position to have an influence within the WordPress community. Um, I was very involved. I was running Bristol WordPress Group at the time. I was starting to really understand how the mechanics of the open source community worked. And I was like, right, I'm going to set myself an intention. Well, no particular timestamp on it, but just an intention that I'm going to find a way to change it. And then later, uh, next year in May 2019, I was running Bristol Bristol's WordPress conference, uh, WordCamp Bristol, it was called. And I went out of my way to build sustainability into that conference. So really kind of like getting some talks about green topics I was like quite open to anything and made sure that all the food was vegetarian that we went out of our way to tell people about public transport options you know did did all the things and one of the talks that we had there was from whole grain digital some of you if you're into this kind of topic might know whole grain digital if you don't definitely check them out they, they are, are awesome they are cool <laughs> aren't they yeah I really love their their work and their ethos and and they're part of the WordPress community. Wave! They came down and gave a talk about building planet-friendly websites, basically. I think their talk was called A Study in Green. And I like, had this light bulb moment. I was like, oh my God, whoa. I had not at this point realised that... I mean, it's, it's kind of silly when I say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of not realised or not put two and two together that digital is, of course, running on energy or electricity. That's got to come from somewhere. And the more digital stuff we do, the more energy or electricity we're, we're responsible for consuming. And I think it was the, because, you know, we've been told digital is green by default. You know, go digital, save the planet. You used to see all those things at the bottom of email footers, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't print, save the environment. You know, store this email electronically or saving the environment. 
And it was that talk from Whole Grain Digital where this big light bulb flicked on in my head. And then a month later, I went to WordCamp Europe 2019, um, which was in Berlin that year. And Jack Lennox was giving a talk on a really similar topic. And you know, sometimes it's like buses. I was kind of waiting to find the thing that I could really hang my hat on. And then they both kind of came, these two things happened at once. Jack's talk in Berlin, Whole Grain Digital's talk in, at, at WordCamp Bristol. And I was like, oh, hooray, okay, I think I found my calling here. I think I can advocate and talk about this issue and build on this issue. Um, and then from 2019, I just kind of really started to do talks at conferences, at meetup groups, and, and kind of found myself, I'd say sliding down a slippery slope, but it was a really good slope. Like it wasn't a bad slope. It was like a very intentional slide, if you like. And kind of found myself by sort of 2022 quite fully immersed in this whole this whole um, industry or, or discipline, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of the story. I then found um, a group called climateaction.tech. Um, and again, if you're really into this stuff and you're not aware of the climateaction.tech community, um, that's definitely one for your list. So go off and check it out. They're a great community. Um, and it was through climateaction.tech that I met Chris Adams, who was the executive director of the Green Web Foundation. And Chris and I kind of got working and chatting and hatched a plan that we would work together when, when some funding came through. And the funding came through at the beginning of 2022. And that's when I started working full time at the Green Web Foundation and, and totally hung up my WordPress developer hat. So um, uh, just quickly on that, the Green Web Foundation, then that really only started to gain traction very recently by the sounds of it. Well, it's an interesting one. Actually, the Green Web Foundation's been around since 2006. It's well ahead of its time, actually. Um, yeah. And at that point, it was very much focused on being uh, just this green web checker thing um, that I mentioned. But in 2019, Chris got more involved with the founder, Renee, who was kind of running it as a side project and said, hey, there's legs in this. And in 2019, I'd say the sort of next version of the Green Web Foundation came along where it was sort of looking more broadly at digital sustainability issues and climate justice issues as well. But yeah, so I'd say sort of in the last two or three years, the Green Web Foundation's really kind of gained traction. Yeah, and I, I think for this moment in time, it feels like it can only continue to, to sort of grow from there. Is that what you're seeing, that there's kind of a lot more dialogue, a lot more conversation, a lot more interest in the open source tools and the sort of support that you provide? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say two or three years ago, like you said digital sustainability to people and people would be like, what now? Pardon me? Who what? There was a real lack of awareness on the topic. I think today you say that and people have some opinions on what it might be or maybe already doing some stuff and are very, very, very hungry for, like you say, tools, solutions, actual we, we sometimes call them patterns, patterns of things that people can do to actually make a difference. So, yeah, I, I think the demand is growing, I think, in the philanthropic movement as well. Um, digital sustainability is starting to become an issue that is gaining funding as well and is being seen as a, as a thing in its own right. 
Definitely, definitely. Um, thank you so much. That was very interesting to kind of listen to that story and I guess how you got into digital sustainability. And I can sense from all the things that you get involved with, uh, organising events, the WordCamp Bristol, um, talking at conferences uh, and events has obviously really led to founding Green Tech Southwest, this kind of passion, I suppose, for community organizing as well as advocacy around digital sustainability so I'd love to find out a little bit about where that came into your story and then how that happened <laughs> yeah um so when I sort of had this light bulb moment of wanting to get into digital sustainability I was currently running the Bristol WordPress group and I mean anyone that runs a community group will know that you get out as much as you put in Annie I'm sure that's kind of um familiar <laughs> to you as well um, you know, you, you stand to gain an awful lot from being uh, a community organiser and bringing people together, to learn stuff, you network. So I decided sort of at the end of 2019, after we'd done Bristol WordCamp, that I wanted to flip that energy from WordPress into digital sustainability stuff. Um, I couldn't definitely couldn't do both at the same time. Like, you know, I've got a life outside of work um, and maintaining boundaries is really, really important. Um, so I decided with regret to stop with the Bristol WordPress group and pick, found something new. And, um, and I decided that Bristol's like such an amazing place. You've got this really strong tech sector, this really strong sustainability sector. And I was looking around and I was like, yeah, but there's no one place where this is coming together, um, where these two kind of edges meet and where there's this interesting overlap of people that want to work with tech and want to, you know, do good things with it, to, certainly in terms of sustainability. So, yeah, so my intention was to found uh, a meetup group that, that would, um, you know, kind of meet that need, basically, and bring those people together and put a bit of focus on that issue. So at the start of 2020, that uh, Green Tech Southwest came into being. And can you explain a little bit around, because I think you have others involved, don't you, with Green Tech Southwest? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that story with Mike, how Mike and Ellen came to work yeah. and I came to work together is quite a good one, actually. Um, again, it's funny, like, sometimes you it was a bit like buses anyway I'll tell the story and then and then we can see the parallels perhaps with some of the other things that have been part of my journey so um so yeah I had very much had this intention independently of setting up Green Tech Southwest um to begin with I was talking with Nick Hemley who was running BrizTech um I'd helped out at BrizTech a couple of times um and Nick Nick was really interested in this kind of stuff too so we met over a few coffees and, you know, shared some ideas about making this happen. But I think Nick realised quite quickly that BrizTech was enough on his plate. So we, we weren't able to take it together as a, as a collaboration uh, much further. So I, I decided to go it alone. I was like, well, I believe in this. I'm just going to kind of find a way. <laughs> so kind of was scrabbling around in the background, sort of thinking about venues and dates and making all this happen and was about to publish an event um, invite around the sort of middle of February of 2020. And I mean, like literally a few days before I was about to press go on that, this other Green Tech Southwest thing popped up. 
and I got an invite to this group called Green Tech Southwest. And I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And um, discovered that Mike and Ellen, who were working at AdLib Recruitment at, this, at the same time, had, had exactly the same idea. And do you know what was really weird? They'd also published the event for the same week that I had in mind. And I was like, hmm, the universe is maybe trying to tell me something here. A, this is a good idea. And B, I'm maybe not as alone as I thought. So I dropped Mike and Ellen a line and showed them everything I'd done, said to them, you know, look, I've been running events for a really long time. You know, would you be interested in joining forces rather than making something that competes? Because that's crazy. And yeah, they were really, really open to it. And um, where are we now? What, like 36 events later? Um, we're a pretty <laughs> solid, solid Green Tech Southwest team and a pretty solid Green Tech Southwest community. But yeah, I just yeah, loved that's a... how that happened. <laughs> I know, but the thing is, exactly the same happened with Tech for Good Southwest because it was Kat and I who co-founded it at the time, 2017 or so. We were we were sort of fed up with traveling up to London for any mm. kind of Tech for Good meetup and conversations. Well, we'll do it here in Bath. We'll launch Tech for Good Bath. And then a Tech for Good Bristol popped up <laughs> within within weeks. And we were like, that is like real serendipity. And which is why the two groups then merged um, a year or two later. We kind of worked in collaboration and sort of so then there was always a kind of Tech for Good event happening every month across Bath and Bristol. And then we decided that obviously community organizing is amazing. And as you said, you get a lot out of it. You learn, you get to meet amazing people across a network, but it's also really hard and takes or mm. takes a lot of time and that kind of continued energy so us joining together really made a difference with that and it sounds like um from when we've chatted before as well the way that you run the network with Mike and Ellen feels like you have a really well oiled machine to obviously deliver that many events since 2020 and, and very much a sort of team-based approach could you share a little bit around how that like what what do you think is the sort of secret sauce in terms of making that <laughs> keep momentum yeah, I mean, there's definite passion. Like we love, we love doing it, and we all realise that we gain something from doing it, and we gain something from doing it well as well. Um, we have quite clear sense of responsibility between the three of us. Um, so, given my day job, I, you know, I'm very much out there in in green tech networks, finding people, uh, meeting people. So, actually, I tend to be the one bringing speakers in. Mike is just so good at then kind of um, keeping the speakers informed up at the event. He always does a kind of uh, run through with them ahead of the event, answers their questions. Um, he's really, really good at that. Um, and then Ellen is fantastic at doing a write up at the end of the event as well. And so these three parts, you know, I'm sort of the horizon scanner, if you like. Mike is sort of the pre-event prep man and Ellen is the queen of writing up the events publishing the video getting the slides off the speakers and and we kind of you know we do swap roles occasionally but we each kind of have a really clear sense of responsibility and then of course we all run the event together as well and we've each got our kind of roles within that um, and then we all kind of pitch in on marketing sharing the events encouraging people to come um, but it's just really really neat that we've the three of us have kind of found niches within the sort of way of running the events that we're all just quite naturally happy doing. 
So I think that's part of why it works so well. So we know our roles and we just crack on with it and we trust each other. Yeah, and I think that's where there's a sort of interesting way relationship between, for example, Green Tech Southwest and Tech for Good Southwest. I know you and I have talked um, around the sort of the niche areas, not that it is niche. I mean, digital sustainability and the topics that you cover is is really broad, but at the moment it's within that niche of, of digital sustainability, whereas Tech for Good Southwest is is very much a wider, broader conversation that I think ultimately we'll see lots more sort of kind of niche communities like we have the sort of ethics in AI group really getting momentum now in Bristol with Karen Rudolph and and I'm sure lots of others Mm. sort of emerging and I think we've spoken about before this kind of idea of kind of cross-pollinating communities and signposting people and of course people move in and out of areas of interest and just interested in your perspective around that relationship. Yeah definitely I I did um a permaculture course many years ago, 10, 10 or so years ago. And I always, one, I mean, lots of things stuck with me from that course, but one of the things I really took away and that I apply in so many different areas of life these days, I remember uh, the, ins- the instructor, Sarah Pugh, she said, it's actually where edges overlap that the most interesting things happen. It's like the edges of woodland. It's the shoreline on the sea. It's... Um, where gardens meet rural life. It, it, it's, it's these edges. And I think that's so very, very true of communities as well. It's where communities overlap with each other and cross-pollinate and learn from each other, also realise how much they've got in common. That's where you get really interesting innovation and ideas happening. So I think it's really, really cool that we've got, like in the Southwest, this nice umbrella of tech for good, um, and I'd argue, I mean, depending on what you know about sustainability, but I would argue that sustainability is way more than just thinking about carbon emissions and climate change. It is thinking about social factors and therefore it is thinking about tech for good in the in the widest possible sense. Um, I'm so grateful that we've got a sort of hub that can bring all of these things together. Um, and I think, you know, collaborating cross-pollinating events kind of bringing these two communities together or three communities because you mentioned tech ethics as well is a really really nice thing to do and it brings these different communities who think oh I don't you know maybe I'm not that interested in sustainability and then actually when they hear more about sustainability they go oh oh I'm kind of doing it (laughs) and then realize that maybe they they are more affiliated to a different cause than they realize yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I definitely agree with that. And there's so there's, there is a sort of, I get a sense of some real kind of momentum around, around the space, more people wanting to have a conversation, more initiatives popping up, more communities, which is just really exciting because there's very clearly more, more momentum to be had there. I think I'd love to just touch on something that you mentioned earlier around keeping some really good boundaries <laughs> between mm your working world and your personal life, yet the work that you're doing with Green Web Foundation and Green Tech Southwest seems to very clearly from how you talk about it, dial into your kind of purpose and you have a lot of passion around the work that you do. So how do you manage to maintain those boundaries? Mm. I've definitely got a lot to learn uh, in that (laughs) space. Um, And I think that's what's really hard when you find the work that you feel really passionate about um, how to kind of keep those boundaries running communities is 
takes a lot of energy and obviously you can't sustain that energy day in day out so yeah just love to hear what whether you have any sort of insights and perspectives around how you've learned that well I mean I've definitely learned it the hard way <laughs> that's for sure um, you know I've definitely had a few moments of spectacular burnout um, but I think you're right I mean it is tricky when you're passionate about something and it does kind of then blur between work and personal life so I think one of the mindsets that I have around this stuff, and actually my husband's been really helpful with, with helping me get there, is to realize that rest is work. And that actually, when you have a relaxed mind, you have a more creative mind. And actually, creativity is what we need to solve a lot of these problems. So when I put it in those terms to myself and say that it is actually my duty to turn up to work each day or to turn up to whatever it is I'm doing that day, refreshed, relaxed, and not ragged. Um, refreshed, relaxed, and not ragged. That's an interesting set of things. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so when I set that intention with myself and, 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 and view it that way, then I do find myself working differently. I don't feel guilty at closing the laptop up five or half five I don't feel guilty about taking a day off or giving myself a bit of space and a bit of grace to kind of do other things yeah because it's just when you're tired you don't you're not doing justice to whatever it is that you're working on and so really what's the point um and so it does mean at times I have to say no to things things that I really desperately want to be working on with you know with with a lot more intense wordpress community stuff actually um wordpress has just been able to f- create a formal sustainability team um which is an amazing thing i think it's the first kind of open source software of this size to have a team de- dedicated to sustainability and i'm hoping that means we'll be able to get get some people funded to work on it but last year, I was, you know, really part of the machinery of trying to get that off the ground. And after November, I just said, there were a team of us working on it. I just said, I'm so, so sorry, but I can't keep doing this. And I have to step away and I'm available on the sidelines, but I can't lead the meetings and I can't, I can't be the one setting the direction on this and, and sort of be the figurehead. I said that I has to be picked up by someone else. And I just need a bit of space. And of course, people that work in these kinds of realms will always understand and respect when you say something like that. The hard part is just saying it and then sticking to it. Yeah, I, no, I'm interested to know whether there, that you have something, whether it's in your mind or whether it's written down that keeps you sort of checking in with, am I doing the things that are the most important to me that they are my priority to make sure that they're part of my work because I think that making Mm. those decisions must be so hard Um, and particularly in the world that you're in as well there's so many things I'm sure you could get involved with but it's knowing that you've ticked the right boxes for now if that makes any sense yeah yeah I mean I don't have a sort of magic formula I mean I think that it's really hard to know what the most high value or impactful things will be. I mean, first and foremost, I've got to pay attention to the things that keep me in my job, um, you know, that keep me able to do this. So I do have to pay attention to where the funding is coming from and 
yeah. the longevity of my roles and the, the project management stuff um, that sits underlying underlying it all. And I do try really hard to do have a mix of things that are that I know I should do that maybe don't excite me so much like that. And then a few things sprinkled in there that I just really feel passionate about or really kind of want to do. So that the fun and the passion remains in place, but it's balanced with the stuff that you know you should do. And if there's yeah. too much fun, I mean, I say fun in sort of like, you know, sort of italics, <laughs> if you know what I mean. If there's too much fun and not enough kind of worthy stuff, the balance is wrong and, and vice versa. But it is about discipline. It is about writing lists every day and going, okay, what is on my list today? What have I really got to get done? And and what have I just got to say, either stop or or defer to another time? So I am the queen of lists. I only have about five or six yeah. bits of paper with lists on. <laughs> I wonder if that is a prerequisite for being a community organiser because um, I have a lot of lists. Um, and then... <laughs> Knowing that what I love, my sort of key takeout there was that that kind of rest is work and recognizing that you then are bringing much more creativity into what you are doing every day if you do take the time for that. And we all know that inherently, we know it. It's just we get sometimes perhaps lost in our lists and and end up forgetting it. Yeah, um, and I think something we do at the Green Web Foundation as well is really, really, really almost pressure each other to take time off. Um, and we have it built into some of our employee contracts that you have to take a minimum of time off. And sneaking off to a conference to give a talk or go to a conference is not time off. Like you actually have to have time off, 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 off. No, no, no slack, no, you know, no emails, no conferencing, you know, actually lifetime off. And that helps. I, I having, love that. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way, that's the way to build sensible organizational culture for sure. Um, so. I'd love to just ask you, I guess, a sort of final question. We often Ooh. ask this to people um, in terms of thinking really broadly around what does tech for good as a, um, as, as a group of words, group of three words, what does that actually mean to you? And we've touched on it a little bit, but your, your hopes and aspirations, I guess, for mo- moving forward for more broadly this kind of southwest Bristol region. Yeah, it's a really great question. I mean, I I would say that my perspective of tech for good really broadened when I came up to um, an event that I know you were a big part of organising. It was the Unconference back in, oh, I can't remember, April, May? Last May, yeah. Yeah, that's right, last last year, 2022. And that was really cool because that did really open my mind to what other people think tech for good is. But for me, it's about understanding that tech has limitations in terms of, it should have limitations in terms of the amount of resources that we use, and that the resources that we do choose to put towards tech should always be used to provide benefit to the most number of people possible. Um, Really, there's a quote that's going around my mind at the moment from Rachel Caldicott at Promising Trouble. Um, I heard her speak a few weeks back and she was talking about what if we had enough tech already and the challenge was actually getting more people to use and have access to what we already have. And I think that that's really, really on my mind at the moment when I think about tech for good. It's about smoothing out 
everybody's ability to access what we have um, and to make sure that what is being used is being is supporting positive environmental and social outcomes as well. Um, there's actually a really interesting hashtag. I don't know if you've ever looked it up. It's tech for bad. It's quite a good one. Yes. Um, and there's people, <laughs> yeah. some people sort of writing and talking about that, you know, alternate view, the opposite view. And that's very much about talking about, well, you know, is it okay that we let, we, we build tech for fossil fuel companies? Is it okay that we build tech for uh, crypto mining or other kinds of things that have dubious social benefits? Um, so I think that's, that's also a really interesting way of, of, of looking, answering that question, is looking at it from the flip side as well. Yeah, and I think that's the nature of, like, of oh, these, these communities, isn't it? It's around actually it's constantly reinventing yourselves and constantly sort of trying to look at the narrative and sort of support a widening conversation. I think that's such a good point. Absolutely. It is about looking at the narratives um, around tech. And there are some really unhealthy narratives, I think, that we're being sold at the moment. Um, you know, the idea that tech will, we should have more tech in order to become more sustainable. I'm not sure I actually really buy that. Um, I've got some real question marks around that as a narrative. And also about community tech as well, I think it's a really interesting narrative. The idea of actually communities putting tech tech possibilities into the hands of communities can actually yield a lot more innovation than the big tech, big tech companies, you know, the big four tech companies. So I think there's some really interesting narratives around tech for good, what it could and should be as well. 100% agree. And, and that community tech conversation is very much present in Bristol. So mm. um, that's also really exciting. And um, we could talk forever, Hannah, we need a part two. <laughs> yeah, we um, <laughs> But Hannah, it's been a fabulous conversation. Your passion for digital sustainability and what you do is so, comes through so clearly. And it's an absolute pleasure to listen to you. Thank you for sharing your amazing wow. work and for all that you do through Green Tech Southwest. I know it's such a highly regarded community and network for all of us to learn from so thank you for all that you do as well and for joining us today oh I'm right back at you Nani as well thank you for you know being being part of pulling all these different organizations together and kind of creating a network of networks so that's so so valuable as well um, so thank you for everything that you do and for all the passion that you have for tech for good too uh, well, we can make definitely this region one to to hopefully sort of spread across the country and and share what share what we do and see more of the conversation because that's ultimately what what we're all trying to achieve. Same objectives, mm. just slightly different lenses. But exactly. thank you so much, Hannah. Pleasure. Really nice to chat with you, Annie. Thank you.